Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash epicfails. That's um, epic with a K. And stay till the end of the episode for a special interview with Ryan Paul Thompson. I'm Eric Slater. I'm Chris Carroll. And this is Epic Fails in Space! Now I am become death. Epic feels We meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of man's recorded history in a time span of but a half a century. Stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced man had learned to use the skins of animals to cover them. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelter. Only five years ago, Man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles and airplanes became available. Only last week did we develop penicillin and television and nuclear power. This is a breathtaking pace. And such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait, If this capsule history of our progress teaches us anything, it is that man in his quest for knowledge and progress is determined and cannot be deterred. We shall send to the moon, 240,000 miles away, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things 
not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. 50 years ago, on July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first men to walk on the surface of the moon. 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, Apollo 11 was an incredible achievement, not just for the United States, but for all mankind. However, their success did not happen overnight. This was a moment decades in the making, all thanks to thousands of scientists and engineers that had to overcome more than a few epic failures along the way. From the Vanguard rocket blowing up on the launch pad, to that one time we accidentally fired a rocket at Mexico. But thanks to the dedication, perseverance, and bravery of the men and women of NASA, they were able to make a dream reality. And a half, 30 seconds. Contact light. Okay, engine stop. APA at a descent. Mode control, both auto, descent engine command override off. Engine arm off. 413 is in. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. So in honor of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary, we thought it'd be appropriate to do a space-themed episode. Back on episode 6, we talked about the corned beef sandwich incident. Yeah, a, a failure on the level of Homer on his uh, initial flight with NASA back in that old Simpsons episode where he opens the bag of chips. Just sheer idiocy. But there's so much more material there. Uh, in fact, when I was writing the book, my co-author and I went way over word count. We had to cut like three chapters material. <laughs> you think about it though the thing i guess maybe one of the reasons it doesn't get talked about as much is because people are so like biologically fundamentally terrified of outer space because it's like this constant reminder of our insignificance yeah exactly and and the slightest mistake usually would mean death mm-hmm. or yeah. very near death for the people involved you know i mean like you're off by a decimal point in a calculation and you're flying off into the void of forever <laughs> so it's it might not be yeah. as well known because i don't think we like to talk about it as much because it scares the crap out of us there's so much that can go wrong and humans are just not meant to be in space exactly like like everything about it will kill you it's the same the reason like the idea of being lost in the middle of the ocean is so terrifying yeah it's because you're in mortal danger and because you know you're not in your environment like you're not <laughs> supposed to be there <laughs> 
but that's one of the great things about humanity is we're always pushing our boundaries and uh you know yeah it's finding neat. a way to make the impossible possible yeah it's like jeff goldblum says you know life uh finds a way you know? <laughs> uh we are always basically giving the middle finger to our to to biology and to nature going like you know oh you can't survive in that environment oh yeah hold my beer you know <laughs> yeah exactly we'll build a submersible that can go to the bottom of the arctic floor and that's my favorite thing about science in general and humanity is that yeah uh, you know, we got our asses planted firmly in the mud, but we're always reaching for the stars. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well said. Anyone that actually knows me knows that if something takes place in space, I'm a fan of it. And uh, when it comes to the real thing, like it doesn't get any better than that. Like, I wonder this... where that started from. I'm the same way. And I yeah. wonder if it was maybe because we grew up with like Star Wars. Could be. Could be. But that it was you... never my favorite movie. But of course, I grew up having seen it a thousand times. Yeah, all yeah, three of them. So yeah. I don't know if maybe that was part of it or it was because maybe... Our generation was like the tail end of the Cold War babies. Like yeah. we were born when it was still a thing, technically. For sure. Yeah. And so there was well, the still that like program and our, all that. Right. And it yeah. was still like almost a national fascin- uh, fascination with space exploration. It might not have been as big as like the sports of the day or whatever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Nonsense celebrity news or whatever. But it was always kind of there. And over time, I think it's really slipped. It's yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like um, there's still so much going on today, but you don't really hear about it a whole lot. It seems like you, you hear about the big things like when Curiosity yeah. got launched, the, which was the awesome. Mars rover and everything yeah. like that. You'll see stuff about that on the major news uh, networks or whatever. But other than like the occasional mention, they don't really talk yeah. about much. But there's all like there's something new every day. Yeah, it's definitely crazy. I mean, just the International Space Station alone is incredible. Yeah, even the if it's like that little discoveries. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, even fact the fact that that even exists in orbit right now, you know, is crazy. It's the size we of have a, a field. space station. Yeah. yeah, with people from around the world, they're just floating out there doing stuff all yeah. the time, and, and constantly... everyone's like just. Yeah, that doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. It's like, yeah. that's so freaking cool, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just, it kind of bums me out, you know, that so many people don't even know about all these incredible achievements. All these incredible people. Like, yeah. not just Americans, although I think, like, some of my all-time favorite American heroes come from the space program. Yeah, definitely. Early definitely. astronauts and engineers and, and you know, uh, uh, command center uh, uh, mission control mission, <laughs> Gene yeah, Kranz and, yes, yeah, yes yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's really a shame that other than the occasional film or whatever they kind of don't really resonate with yeah. the average person and I guess well, that's true of, for I mean you couldn't ask the average person to name like war heroes yeah yeah true from World War II or Vietnam or whatever I mean they just don't know yeah and I think part of it is, so when the, the Apollo missions were actually happening, there were so many of them back to back that people kind of just got, yeah, they became, got they lost it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cause there were so much within a decade, you know, there was been so many advances and stuff that people just kind of got tired of it and tuned it out, which is crazy. Cause like we went to the moon, yeah. not just once, but like. Like six times. To the point now yeah. where like we go to the moon, like which we don't really do very often. Yeah. But if we do, everyone's like, so? Do you have and then there's, there's the other side of things where like some people don't even believe it happened. Which is, oh, that. Which really gets to me. That's yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. I, I, that really bothers me a lot. Like on yeah. a fundamental level. Because I think it's, I understand the appeal of like yeah. big brother government out to get us. I think it would be more effort to fake it than it would be to actually do it. <laughs> But that whole thing of like Kubrick yeah. hiding, like it's directing so the moon landing, it's yeah. all nonsense. But, but I think that it's so insulting. It is. To the hundreds and hundreds, if not more, thousands of engineers and scientists and, and pilots and, you know, the test, the, that's the guys that didn't quite get up to space. You yeah. know, the, the guys yeah. who were, you know, backup or whatever, who just, 
were always there to help from the ground, but never got to actually experience it. The yeah. families of those people, like it's such a huge insult to them and the sacrifices they made and the the ridiculous <laughs> Fords and, and, you know, uh, uh, advancements in technology and everything that they made. And their contributions are so significant to where we are as a species. We now. just take it for granted, too. But I mean, like, you think about like cell phone technology and all that stuff that wouldn't exist GPS. without NASA. None of that would exist yeah. without NASA and the things that they did back then. Exactly. And. For the people to be like, that's all crap or that's all a hoax or whatever, I, it really bothers me. Conspiracy theories in general tend to fall apart when you when you actually dig into them a little bit more and think critically. Yeah. And if you really apply Occam's razor, like what's... Yeah, what's the uh, what could, the most obvious solution? Like if you yeah, hear, yeah, yeah, exactly. if you hear hoofbeats, you think horses, not zebras. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it's the fact usually that, the most obvious solution is the solution. And when it comes to the Apollo program specifically, there's two things I point to. The fact that Russia confirmed it, you know, they were our enemies during the They didn't the want to give us credit for that crap. But China was the same way. They didn't yeah. want to give us, but they had to. Yeah, and they did their, they checked on it. And, yeah. you know, they confirmed it basically. Because they would have loved, they, especially yeah. <laughs> in 1969, 1970, yeah. if the Soviet Union had Soviet the opportunity Union. to debunk America to that point, America's greatest achievement on the world stage. Yeah. They would have done it in a heartbeat. Yeah. So it's, none of those theories hold any water. And I don't mean to make this whole thing about that. Yeah. So no, I, totally. I, we can move on. <laughs> Let's talk about what we came here to talk about today and the failures and the, the, the epic failures of our history as a species, not just America, but as a species <laughs> in space travel and space exploration. What do we got? So one of the big ones for me was uh, Skylab. I don't know how much you know about this, but it sounds suspiciously like Skynet and I don't trust Skynet. <laughs> uh, so this was before the Mir space station. Uh, this was well before the International Space Station. First launched by NASA in 1973. Skylab was a space station that was converted out of the interior of a Saturn V rocket, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. Like, it's it's kind of cool, like, you know, sort of recycling. I yeah, guess. yeah. <laughs> like, it's a crazy recycling, but I guess it, <laughs> if, if it works, it works. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so he, here's the thing, though. This was occupied for a mere 24 weeks over the course of three missions ending in 1974. It was launched in 1973. So it was good for maybe a year. For about a year. <laughs> totally worth the money it cost. <laughs> the station was left abandoned in orbit until it crashed to Earth in 1979. So after awesome. all that effort, after all that money spent on, on this just, incredible creation, you know, like it, one of the world's first space stations. Probably I the think, world's most advanced at the time, at least. Yeah, yeah, like yeah The biggest definitely. achievement. And they just let it sit up there in a decaying orbit for five years before it <laughs> crashed to Earth. So a couple things happened. There were plans to send shuttle missions up there, but they were scrapped after the shuttle program was delayed due to budget cuts. Because oh, of course. budget cuts. When this was late <laughs> 70s, this would have been, yeah. what, Carter? So this was a 75-ton station, and when it began to fall wait, from... Wait, 75 tons? Yeah. That's heavy. Sorry, go ahead. So when it began to fall from orbit, they'd hoped it would crash harmlessly into the ocean. I'm guessing that didn't happen. <laughs> Instead, it broke up in re-entry and scattered debris all across the Australian outback. Oh, God. <laughs> Now, luckily, uh, no one was hurt. Here's the funny thing. Australia actually sent the U.S. a bill for the cleanup, <laughs> and the U.S. ignored it. Oh, of course. Until 2009. Oh, right. So, so they, Obama, Obama forced yeah, them to pay basically. up? 
<laughs> That's it awesome. was after like, it was like the 30th anniversary and like ah fine we'll you know, <laughs> they probably they probably called us out in front of a bunch of like other countries yeah <laughs> like you know hey america i'm not even gonna attempt the australian accents don't worry but you're like hey america so um now that we're here in front of the like united nations i can't help but notice you haven't paid this bill from three decades ago yeah. <laughs> all right we got see we got our couch cushions here yeah, it's nothing compared to the uh, the deficit we have right now. But, yeah, you know. nah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into that. That's too depressing. <laughs> so I would love to talk about a little bit earlier. We're going to go back about 10 years or so. And I'm going to butcher some pronunciations here, so bear with me. But we're going to talk about the Voskhod 2. It's 1965. So this is early in the space race still. Yeah, yeah, So definitely. you still got some... Um, I think some... Gemini was just getting started around then. Sounds about right, yeah. yeah so yeah. like kind of the famous early astronauts are becoming well-known. Yeah. But this is where you still get a lot of the dodgy technology. Oh, yeah. And errors happening <laughs> when you're like up in orbit. So anyway, 1965, we're focusing on two Russian cosmonauts here. We've got Pavel Belayev and Alexei Leonov. And these two successfully complete the first spacewalk. So... Right then and there should yeah. be famous. We should know who they are. I've <laughs> yeah. never heard those names in my life. Yeah. I've heard Yuri Gargarin, and that's it. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyways, they complete the first spacewalk. But, of course, there's a but. The mission is utterly plagued with problems from the get-go. All right. So you've got a 12-minute EVA, which is like the exterior spacewalking, essentially. Yeah, yeah right? definitely. Like they said, the spacewalk. So during a 12-minute spacewalk, uh, Alexei Leonov's suit balloons out <laughs> to the point where he can't fit back into the airlock. So this dude is stuck out in space with a limited <laughs> oxygen supply, and the only way he could lower the suit or like decompress the suit was to lower its pressure, which is essentially the way I understand it to let oxygen out of his suit. Yeah. yeah. So he's kind of like, terrifying. He's got to take away his only the only thing keeping him alive. He's got to basically sacrifice it and hope he can get inside in time. He's forced to do this to make it in. He's able to do this, but doing it nearly causes him to suffer decompression sickness, which is like the bends. It's really nasty. Yeah. And his it was so taxing and so like physically exhausting that his suit had filled up to his knees in sweat That's and disgusting. he nearly suffered heat stroke. Oh my God. In a void. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, well, when you, when you lower, I think it's air pressure, the, the, the um, temperature of uh, boiling water rises or something like that. Oh, well, okay. So, so it's, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so he's yeah, essentially yeah. cooking himself in the suit. Basically. Yeah. That's hardcore. That's yeah. metal. All yeah. Right. It's nuts. Well, just doing it, being the first person to do a spacewalk is pretty nuts and then of course you run into like <laughs> oh i almost died yeah. all right <clears throat> so he made it back into the airlock yeah right he makes it back in he's all jacked up he's sweaty he takes the suit off he's like oh man no more of that and yet uh so <laughs> you would think that that's the end of that but if it were it wouldn't be on the list yeah so during re-entry which is always an adventure based off of every movie and tv show i've ever seen and everything i've ever studied uh there's a malfunction because of course it was <laughs> That causes them to lose control and start to spin. Now, at those speeds, a spin is crazy dangerous. Yeah. So the capsule ends up landing literally hundreds of miles off course. And, of course, it lands in the middle of the Siberian tundra. Uh. One of the least forgiving areas on the entire planet. And these two cosmonauts find themselves lost in the woods, surrounded by hungry wolves and bears... <laughs> As temperatures dropped into the negatives, please keep in mind, these guys just came through re-entry, yeah. which is so obscenely hot yeah. that until they built the plate, the, sh the heat shield plates, it would almost kill everybody who did it because oh, yeah. their body temperatures would rise so much. So yeah. your Alexi 
you've been almost killed by heat stroke, presumably very shortly before, maybe a day or so at most. Yeah. You almost die on reentry from the heat. You're done. The spin probably knocks you for a loop. You wake up in negative temperatures. You're sweaty. You've got like a shirt on because yeah. you're expecting to land somewhere much more temperate. Yeah. So you're like, oh, great. Well, now I'm certainly going to die of hypothermia. And there's wolves and bears. <laughs> Luckily, the two of them were able to survive the night and were rescued the next day. So it could have been a lot worse. Man. Nobody lost their lives. But you talk about it. Like, what an ordeal. Like, yes. every step of talk the way. Talk about an ordeal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, even if everything went fine, it would still be, like, the most taxing thing they'd ever it's been like through. It's like spending the weekend with your in-laws times five. Like. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about the Hubble telescope. Now. <laughs> I don't know it? anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> So the Hubble is actually pretty famous as far as uh, yeah. space equipment. I mean, it's not maybe to the level of curiosity with people nowadays because it launched 40-something years ago, right? <laughs> a lot of people may not know much about the Hubble, but they've at least seen a lot of the pictures yes. that have come from it. A lot Absolutely. of distant galaxies, nebulas. A lot of the early, really decent pictures we got of some of the planets in our own solar system were from the Hubble. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so this was first uh, deployed from the Space Shuttle Discovery back in 1990. And it wasn't until they launched it that they realized there was a defective mirror and they had to set up another shuttle mission just to repair it in 1994. So you guys got to go way further out yeah, and fix this thing that should have been fixed before we sent it up to begin with. Exactly. We're America. <laughs> so it took five long EVAs to finally swap out the broken mirror. Why so mad? I don't, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, they probably there was probably other parts in the way that they it's rhetorical. Like, yeah, yeah, it's totally rhetorical. And I, the fact that they're repairing something in orbit, yeah, you know, that's yeah. incredible. You don't even think about it because you see the pictures and it looks like you're static, but you're moving like thousands of miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, like you're going so well, fast. And if you lose a screw, it like, could kill everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a lot to think about. A lot of moving parts yeah, and stuff. So nuts, you know, man. it's so crazy. This would have been so easy to repair on Earth, but obviously. They, right. you know, had to, you know, overwork had, it. And... They probably had a deadline for a launch where they had to, someone that was like, you better get it up yeah. by this date. And they were like, it's exactly. not ready. Just send it up. We'll send other people up. <laughs> you know what? I didn't realize that it had been launched as recently as 1990. I actually yeah. remember, this is, you know, because no, I'm 100 good. years old. I actually remember the U.S., uh, the Discovery, the Shuttle oh, Discovery. Yeah, yeah, I remember was... that happening. Yeah. I just, did, I, for some reason, well, I thought Hubble and I was thinking late 70s. Uh, so... There were four other servicing missions over the next 15 years. And not that wasn't just because of repairs that were needed, just from, uh, you know, uh, being up in orbit and stuff and all the right, know, all random the, yeah, debris. The debris and, there's so much junk up there that's but, been left from past space missions. Yeah, but also to, like, upgrade it and, yeah. you know, like, enhance it and all that. Uh, so this is the crazy part. The original cost estimate for the Hubble telescope was $400 million dollars. Damn, and that's in 1990 money. Yeah. So that's like yeah. a lot. I bet you got a lot bigger than that, too. Well. <laughs> five, five plus repair missions. This grew to $4.7 billion oh by the time of its initial launch. What? And what? The total cost, when all was said and done, was $10 billion. What? <laughs> Dude, that's like so 25 times the original estimate. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> if not more. My math is horrible, so forgive so, me. I don't have a calculator in front of me. But that's... Now, wow. Now, a lot of people like to complain about NASA's budget. And there is an argument there that, like, they go way over budget way yeah. too often. Yeah. But when you compare it to, like, the national budget, when you compare it to the military budget... The in the bucket, budget, man. Yeah, it's less than a percent. Yeah. 
like annually. They could triple NASA's budget from the military budget, from the defense budget, and NASA would be able to do so much more. And they should do the same with like the oceanography institute, yeah, yeah, definitely to study the oceans. And we would still, still spend more than like the next twenty six countries combined, as opposed to twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and we would actually get something from it. And by the way, of those twenty six countries, twenty five of them are our allies. So (laughs) what we're doing, I have no idea. It's so absurd. Uh, so that reminds me, uh, have you heard of the uh, the James Webb Space Telescope? That's, that's the one they're building now, right? That's what they're I, cur- I actually read something yeah. about that on uh, – I was because I follow NASA on Twitter and social media and stuff, and I was reading something about that maybe a month ago. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be like insane Well, it's the detail it can get from a distance. Yeah, it's like a thousand times more advanced than the Hubble. It's crazy. And they're planning on launching it soon. I think they keep pushing the date back, but it's like within they the next few years. want to make sure there are any broken mirrors on <laughs> Right? It. Well, what's crazy is this thing's huge. It's like uh, – have you, have you seen – I haven't seen the pictures of oh, it. Oh my no. god, it's massive compared yeah. to the Hubble. Like this thing's like it feels like a maybe not that big, but it's it's like a small building, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's huge. It's going to be really difficult to get up into orbit then. And well, what's crazy is yeah, well, yeah. The, but, the uh, math the math involved on this is so bananas. Yeah, like, it's it's pretty you insane. Would take, like the average person who, you know, even if you're good at it, you're not maybe like excited by math necessarily, even if you're, you know, succeeded at it or whatever. Yeah. You take one look at these algorithms and equations. I mean, I've looked them up online just to see what they look looked up like NASA math and stuff yeah. like that. And just like there aren't even any numbers in half of them. It's all just symbols and letters. And you're like, okay, I don't know what any of those even mean to begin with. Yeah. Much less how to calculate those on the fly while I'm about to die. <laughs> I mean, right. that's crazy. I, so the coolest thing about the James Webb is that it'll actually be able to get like high-res images of exoplanets outside of our solar system. Oh, sweet. So a lot of those like Earth-like planets that we, we keep can finding, see if there's we can actually see atmosphere yeah, and water. And get a better reading on them. So, sweet. Yeah, I'm pretty excited i'm definitely that'll come in handy when the cylons kill <laughs> so yeah that's something i've been definitely nerding out about recently all right so i talked about how when i was thinking about hubble i was thinking late 70s that was actually the voyager probes two of them all right and the voyager probes recently actually became the first man-made objects in the history of our species to leave our solar system which when you think about it is bonkers for some context that's 13 <laughs> billion miles away from our planet yeah it's 13 billion pretty hard to imagine that's it's an incomprehensible it's like in, so, incomprehensible distance I mean. it's so so big and yet that you can't really conceive of it. and yet that's just our solar system yeah like if you if you oh my god it's and our solar system is tiny in our <laughs> tiny, galaxy exactly it's nuts it's and there, we're nuts. one of billions of galaxies it, that we know about <laughs> that we know about yeah, yeah there's yeah. got to be even more than that yeah space says the introduction to the hitchhiker's guide is big really big you just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. Uh, and so on. My thing is, like, if I could ever... You know how, like, um, you see, like, in some sci-fi movies or whatever where they get, like, cosmic awareness? I would want that for, like... <laughs> to, to get that just so I could see if there were, like, actual end to space. Right, yeah. And what is there? Like, what what would be outside <laughs> of it, you know? It's um, probably too much. Our brains would melt. But it's probably the thing is like to me it's the melt. same as like <laughs> if you if you had like a goldfish in a bowl and you had painted those sides of the bowl black. Yeah, yeah. So it couldn't see out. What would that gold they couldn't conceive of anything outside of its bowl? Yeah. yeah. It's probably like other dimensions, like other realities. I don't know. I something. think we're too dumb to ever we're just <laughs> we're really smart. For Even Einstein of, was like, Yeah, that's beyond me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, well, I don't care. It's crazy. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, way off base. 
Talking right. about the Voyager probe, right? Sorry. 13 billion miles away from Earth. Yeah. So anyways, back when these things were launched, again, 1977, they were both near catastrophic failures. Mm-hmm. Voyager 2 had a computer error that made it refuse orders from NASA. So it basically Skynetted them. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> Why, Father? Why? Uh, the newspapers called it a mutiny in space, which is pretty awesome. That should be a movie. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Voyager 1, on the other hand, barely made out of Earth's orbit when the second stage rocket failed due to a fuel leak. Um, so, it, you know, if that had happened maybe a little bit earlier, it doesn't even make it out of the orbit. So despite yeah. a rocky start, the Voyager program has since become one of NASA's most groundbreaking projects. Both probes managed to gather data on Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus. I'm trying very hard not to get it. <laughs> I win! Sorry. So one of the coolest... I'm such a, I'm such a five-year-old. <laughs> So one of the coolest things about the Voyager program is that each probe contains a golden record with sounds of Earth. These were carefully selected by none other than Carl Sagan as a time capsule to send out into the cosmos. The sounds of Earth, it's like animals, kids yeah. laughing, music, yeah. stuff like that. It's And we're trying to like math, I think, is on there there's, a lot. There's a couple things. We're yeah, trying to like... communicate like what we are as a species in case someone out there ever runs across it. Exactly. Of course, if they do, they'll probably be like, who threw their trash out here? Yeah, that'll probably be. Yeah. War! (laughs) The alien turns to a camera and a single tear rolls down his cheek. This is something I didn't know a whole lot about until I started researching it. Throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the Soviet Union had this thing called the Venera Project. (laughs) Sounds like an STD. (laughs) Well, uh... (laughs) Funny you should mention that. It was a Soviet project. To study Venus, oh, okay. which is why the the name Venera. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So over the course of three decades, they launched sixteen probes into Venus. Wait, is it Venus all it. gas though, or is that Mercury? Uh, Mercury is like a boiling no, liquid Mer- planet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, Venus, Venus is all is gas. A, it's an Earth-like planet, but it's like but poison gas. It's so it's closer to the sun, and it's like super deadly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like super poison gas, and temperatures in like the thousands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> 16 probes over the course of three decades, and each one was kind of a failure, but they kind of made a little progress with each one, you know, and they just didn't give up, which is kind of astounding because of how much money they were spending on this thing, probably. Uh, So the first one failed to leave the atmosphere. Nice. (laughs) The next two suffered telemetry failures as they flew past the planet. Venera 3 finally made it to Venus, but crash-landed. Venera 4 survived long enough to measure atmospheric data before being crushed by the planet's surface pressure. (laughs) Venera's 5 and 6 both managed to record nearly an hour of data as they were parachuted to the surface before their batteries died. Venera 7 survived and made it to the surface, but then toppled over and damaged its antenna. Oh my god. It survived just long enough to transmit 23 minutes of data, recording temperatures reaching, get this, 869 degrees Fahrenheit and winds of 225 miles per hour. Its last words were, why was I programmed to feel pain? <laughs> so they at this point, I'm assuming they're starting to get the picture that this planet is... Super deadly. Yeah, like... <laughs> Not where you like, should be vacationing this summer. Yeah, definitely. Like, maybe there's a reason our probes keep dying. So, Venera's 9 through 12 all suffered camera lens malfunctions, but two of them managed to take photos before melting. Venera 13 lasted a whopping 127 minutes. Venera 15 and 16 both managed to map part of the planet's northern hemisphere. That's incredible. Um, what perseverance, yeah. though, like... 
to get like and I think I see why like they kept getting a little bit more yeah. a little bit well, more Well I feel like if the Soviet Union didn't collapse they probably would have been doing this till today like probably, we probably yeah. would have like a Soviet base on Venus by now <laughs> Just everyone there's dead but it's there <laughs> They built it Exactly Congratulations Listen lad I built this kingdom up from nothing When I started here all I was was swamp Well the king said I was daft to build a castle on the swamp but I built it all the same, just to show them. They sank into the swamp, so I built a second one. That sank into the swamp. So I built a third one. That burned down, fell over, then sank into the swamp. But the fourth one stayed up. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of cool when you think about it. Venus is kind of like Earth, but like primordial. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's like really... In its, its like early Earth, stages it's, it's of like development, it's closer to the sun. Preteen Earth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it's got all this acne exploding on the surface. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Volcanic it's, acne. It's just super pissy yeah. all the time. Like, <laughs> the slightest change, and it's like... Aah! And then you got Mars. You got Mars on the other end of the spectrum, which is kind of like Earth maybe 10 years from now. Mars yeah. is Earth's grandpa. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been warning us forever, like, this is what will happen to you. And we're like, shut up, grandpa, you suck. It's just a barren wasteland. Where uh, there used to be water and resources. Yeah, yeah, nothing And now it's just a there. graveyard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so. like, it'll happen to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Attention, listeners, the Epic Fails of History podcast. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I seriously can't recommend Audible enough. Honestly, I have an hour-long commute to my day job, so I usually spend it either listening to podcasts or listening to audiobooks while I think up what I'm going to talk about on the next podcast. In fact, all four Epic Fails books are now available on Audible. If you're enjoying this episode, for more epic failures in the history of space travel, be sure to check out The Race to Space Countdown to Liftoff by myself, Eric Slater, and Ben Thompson. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash epicfails with a K. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash E-P-I-K fails for your free audiobook. All right. So there's talking about probes. The last couple of things have been about probes, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a couple other awesome failures in probing. Genesis. Not the band by Phil Collins or the excellent video game system by Sega. But the probe captured solar particle samples, but crashed in the Utah desert after its parachute failed. After all that. So it could go up near the frickin' sun. Yeah. But a, some idiot mispacked the parachute. <laughs> Way to go, Kyle. There's the, uh, I don't know if it's OCO or just OCO. Probably OCO. But it's a satellite launched to collect carbon dioxide data in the atmosphere. And it crashed into the ocean 17 minutes after launching. <laughs> So it was like, Man. I almost made it. Yeah. I like to think it landed in like a pot of whales or something. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, man. Yeah. Just keeps getting worse. All right. Yeah. The, uh, the NOAA-19, and I'm not sure what NOAA stands for. I can look it up. New Orleans Alcoholics on. Anonymous. So anyway, the NOAA-19 is a multi-million dollar weather satellite, which most weather satellites are probably multi-million dollars. But anyway, <laughs> it was damaged beyond repair when engineers went to move it without making sure it was bolted down. I'm going to say that again for emphasis. <laughs> It was multi-million dollar weather satellite. So more money than most of us will ever see in our lives. Damaged beyond repair. Totaled. Completely trashed. When some formerly employed engineers went to move it without first checking to make sure it was bolted down. That's the stupidest thing we've said so far. 
our tax money at work. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> they accidentally knocked the satellite to the ground, breaking a number of extremely expensive components that were essentially irreplaceable. Basically. Cost the taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars, and in return, we got nothing. So, earlier this year, NASA announced the first all-female spacewalk aboard the ISS. Sweet. Uh, unfortunately, they announced this before they realized that they only had one suit on hand in their size. <laughs> so, that's okay. So, if it's one female, it is an all-female spacewalk. If she's the only one that goes, yeah. which is super dangerous, yeah. but still, well, all-female. <laughs> uh, NASA... They later apologized, basically. But they, bad. they said that it's still happening. They just had to delay it for a later mission. <laughs> uh, but what's crazy about this is they announced it. They announced it before checking to see if it was actually something they could do. <laughs> All right. So here's something that I like to bore people with when nobody asks me about it. Um, <laughs> is something that most people don't know. Because a lot of times when we see... Especially nowadays, when you see images of Earth from space, it's not from a satellite or anything. It's from, like, a movie. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's always just, like, everything is just it's just Earth. It's, there's yeah. nothing around it. You don't even see, like, the atmosphere whatever. Um, something most people don't know is the concept <laughs> of space junk or space trash. Yeah. And no, I'm not talking about the Phantom Menace. <laughs> this is the junk that we leave behind in orbit. And it, it, there's so much of it. And it's this stuff is constantly moving. So when they launch things up, they have to, like, place it like strategically right otherwise like some random junk from the 1960s is gonna rip through it yeah yeah um and well, there's so there's it's becoming a hazard to the international space station yeah so there's so much of it yeah there's actually over twenty three thousand pieces of debris from old satellites and old rockets that's hurtling through the upper atmosphere it's being monitored by the Department of Defense. And that's only the pieces large enough to track. Right. So that's the big are, chunks. That's yeah, the yeah, things yeah. that could like endanger cities if they fell or areas well, or whatever. Yeah. Not yeah, yeah. whole cities. It's yeah. not you know Armageddon. <laughs> but it ran if it landed in the right place, I'm not saying it would kill thousands, but it could really hurt somebody. That's what they're tracking. Yeah. They're tracking stuff that could damage their, their property or could hurt their citizens. That's yeah. about it. The thing is, some of these small pieces are the most dangerous ones, but those, they're too small to keep track of. Those are the ones you got to worry about. You can't especially... find a screw traveling at 4,500,000 miles an hour or whatever it is. Well, like, yeah, and those the smaller parts, we don't have to worry about those on Earth because those will burn up in the atmosphere. Right, but the space station yeah, needs to worry about It's them. actually becoming kind of it, an issue. It's like metal hail hitting them. Yeah, yeah, they Just, constantly have to do repairs. Yeah. Like, because they're getting holes in the space station <laughs> from space random just debris. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it's terrifying. It's, and it's, it's, it, there's, it, I really want, if you get a chance, try to find a picture. Just look up like space debris or like Earth orbit space debris or something like that. Where you can see a picture of it. It's, it's, it's almost like the first time you see Garbage Island. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like and that. The fact that the that's Pacific not the lead story on the news every day patch. in the world yeah. is <laughs> mind boggling to be like, hey, y'all, we need to fix this. <laughs> no, nobody cares. Yeah. Uh, same with this. Like, nobody cares. Yeah. There's literally like so much junk up there that if somehow it all started to fall, we'd all be in deep trouble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, so, you know, I'm sure when we go to Mars, we'll end up polluting that planet too. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Well, the only way we're going to get there properly, apparently, is with Elon Musk. So for those that don't know, before single-handedly revolutionizing the automobile industry with Tesla and commercial space travel with SpaceX's Falcon 9, Elon Musk had a number of notable setbacks, let's say. In 1996, he was ousted as CEO from his own company. <laughs> In 1999, his first PayPal product was voted one of the 10 worst business ideas. 
In 2000, he was ousted from PayPal while on his honeymoon. Oh my god. That same year, he almost died of malaria while on vacation. And <laughs> <Wow>. then... <laughs> Jeez. Rutherford B. Hayes. Paging. Rutherford B. Hayes. Uh... In 2001, Russia refused to sell him rockets. The next year... <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Some guy. Hey, uh, I'm the guy who's been kicked out of every company I've been a part of. I'm this weird, weird dude from America with a creepy name. I'd like to buy some rockets from you. I'd be like, hell no! Yeah, and he's originally from South, South Africa, I think. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's... <laughs> 13 strikes, you're out, buddy. So... Yeah, uh, Russia refused to sell him rockets. The next year, in 2002, he was turned down once again by the Russians. So, fast forward to 2006, he's uh, he's starting up SpaceX for the first time. And his first ever rocket launch ended in an explosion. Of course it did. Uh, in 2007, his second launch also failed. But the third one... 2008. The third launch was a critical failure. Oh, and this one, so close. This one had a NASA satellite aboard. Oh, shit. So you would think at this point he would call it quits. He would throw in the <laughs> towel. But that's in that same year, it's worth pointing out, both Tesla and SpaceX were on the brink of bankruptcy. But 10 years later... Biggest companies in the world. He turned all that around because he didn't give up. He just kept at it. So, so yeah, while there was... I, really I guess gotta, you could talk about epic failures because he had so many. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a huge American success story. Yeah, definitely. Like one like, of the all-timers. You know? I mean... It, you can watch the footage of like the Falcon 9 launches. The the uh, Falcon Heavy was really impressive. That's basically like three reusable rockets yeah. that went up. They launched, I think, a car into space recently. <laughs> which yeah, they, so, did, they did. They did. They yeah, launched a car so into space. Insane. Yeah. Which is literally the most American thing I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like pointless, You just know they're blaring awesome. ACDC from the speakers of the car. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? turn it on before you leave. And they start the engine up and just let it drift off. And it's yeah. like, back in like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's even cooler is not only do these rockets launch up uh, simultaneously, you know, it was three booster rockets. They all landed on their own. I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, they they all landed um, on drone ships out in the ocean. Oh wow! After the launch, so yeah, they're reusable rockets. That's freaking sweet because that was always my biggest problem with so the, he, the space shuttle. Yeah, yeah, it had they always. And they would just dump it in the ocean. Like grain silo sized rockets that would just, you yeah. know, you'd have the one that would fall in the ocean. Yeah. And the other two would detach and be like, all right, we're off into space. See you forever. Yeah, exactly. And and God only knows where those things ended up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to think about um, just in the matter of 10 years, he managed to, yeah, just change everything. I mean, commercial space travel is a thing now because of him him and, and uh richard branson right? oh yeah 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 virgin Galactic, virgin yeah, yeah I've, i'm loath to give that guy credit for anything because i think he's a huge creep but you know credit where credit's due he he was one of the first to uh even offer personalized yeah. recreational space travel yeah for Personally, the filthy rich i can think of like a million things i would rather do than go up in outer space Oh man, I would do it in a heartbeat. Don't get me wrong; it would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, if I were going with NASA, yeah, true, <laughs> not with Richard Branson. Yeah. You know what's funny is, so a couple like like millionaires, maybe billionaires, have visited the International Space Station yeah. recently. Yeah. But what's funny is they had to hitch a ride on a like, Russian rocket <laughs> <laughs> because we don't Russia, currently have a we don't currently have a shuttle program. Yeah, which is really crappy. It's, it's kind of like, sad, you know. And it's I, mean, I understand them scrapping the shuttle, but. 
like they're trying to find like a, I guess a better and more cost effective. Yeah, one definitely. Or whatever, because there was a lot sources. of problems with it. Definitely, yeah. and it was very wasteful. But yeah, it was also the best thing that anyone had ever built. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, there's never been anything been improved on the shuttle. Yeah, that's been used by a government regularly. Exactly. Right? So hopefully, well, NASA Russia can... Russia did build their own shuttle. I just don't think they ever launched it. Yeah, they pretty much stole our concept. I think it's literally just a shell. I don't think yeah. there's anything in it. Yeah, I think it's full of, like newspapers. Yeah, probably. So, like, yeah, like, <laughs> Looks good. Yes, uh, launch. No, no, not yet. It's not ready. Yeah, you, you knock on the side of it, and <laughs> it just falls apart. So a lot has happened in the last fifty years. Um, do tell. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> like what? <laughs> a lot has happened in the last fifty years since Neil Armstrong first walked on the moon. Uh, where do you think we'll be in the next 50 years? Dude, that's such a good question. I mean, it's hard to say because it's it Space Force. On, yeah, Space Force. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't know. I'd love to think that in 50 years we would have, if not colonies, we would mm-hmm. have like uh, stations set up in like orbits outside other planets and yeah. things like that. Yeah, uh, to start like the inevitable spread of our species as like the cancer that we are. <laughs> As our current host becomes less sustainable because we've been destroying it cell by right. cell, yeah. we move out to kill other bodies. Um, <laughs> no, no but, but I do think that, like, eventually, with assuming we don't, you know, kill ourselves in the meantime or whatever, fingers crossed, and that, and, yeah, <laughs> and that, um, you know, our environment sustains us long enough, and all those factors, blah 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 blah. If we have the right people investing the right resources into the programs, and I think we will eventually. Honestly, I think that even trying to guess where it goes almost like limits it. And I don't think yeah. that I think what we would be doing is so friggin' past where my imagination can go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would say yeah. like deeper space exploration, finding out like the creation of how these things work, how black holes work. Oh can we God, get something so in a black incredible. hole? Find yeah. out where, what is that? Yeah, definitely. We still don't even know what they are yeah. other than their like singularities. Right. But we don't know what causes them. Yeah. We don't, we yeah. think it's from stars dying, but we're not sure. Yeah. We don't know where that stuff goes. If if it condenses matter to a single point, like wh- there's a lot of theories, or I, I should say, hypotheses, wormholes, all about, kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like, about, but we just don't know. We it's have all, no idea knowing. And to, to get guesswork, to the point where mathematical able, guesswork, you know. But. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's all theory. But to be able to get to the point where we'd be able to actually measure that stuff, yeah, our technology would have to make such dramatic leaps forward. Yeah, because well, you even, almost have to be able to, to track something. Yeah, you have to build something that could survive that. Sure track its progress yeah. through that and yeah. figure out where it ends up if anywhere yeah and if not what happens and then get the data back to and earth. get the data back yeah. to earth yeah or and if a black hole happens yeah. close enough where we could send something and get it back in a lifetime like that we're would... all gonna die yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well i guess i guess one of the big uh challenges we'll have to eventually overcome is interstellar travel yeah. and whether or not it's possible to uh, supersede the speed of light, we don't know yet. But I would think that it would have to be. And there's all kinds of theories about like folding sure. space time. Yeah. Like yeah. Event Horizon kind oh, of. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which is what I love so much about sci-fi movies in space and stuff. Is yeah. You find out like way later on. Yeah. The people who grew up watching those movies that became like yes. mega smart scientists. Exactly. Uses the technology from those movies yeah. to make real things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like you see the dudes online. Did you see that Russian engineer that yeah, electrical engineer who built an Iron Man suit that actually shoots stuff out of yeah, his hand. Yeah, it's nuts. Like he right. fires, yeah. freaking um 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 uh, like repulsor pro- tech, repulsor, and yeah. blows stuff up. Yeah, for real. Yeah, 
Or the guy who built the Captain America shield that can stop yeah. bullets. Yeah, exactly. For real. Because they watch those movies. And yeah. the, the Alien movies and Event Horizon and, of course, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. probably more than any of them, yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Well, All like, that stuff. We have cell phones now because of uh, the communicator. Yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you're watching CNN and they on election night, and you're like, this is the most pretentious thing I have ever seen with these holograms. Yeah. You can think like Picard and the crew of the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, it is really, that's, I think that's a reason I've always been obsessed with, uh, science fiction is because there's always a nugget of truth to it. You know, yeah. there's always a possibility there. You know? Yeah. Or like it shows us where we've been yeah, and where we're going. Speculative. Like, speculatively yeah. where yeah. we're going, but where we've been, like you watch old, um, and it, it tends to be a metaphor for history too. Typically. Yeah. yeah. And you watch like, or like current events. What's your favorite space travel either like anecdote kind of thing, event or movie or whatever. Like what, when you think of like space, what's your favorite thing? Okay. So, uh, there's, there's a couple choices the here. Possible existence of alien life. That Is does. I mean that the idea of seeing other planets. Yeah. I mean, I, f okay. So I do think about this way too often <laughs> to be honest, but, um, I, you know, I do think that, the galaxy, the, sorry, the universe is way too vast for us to be the only life. Oh in it. yeah, no, I, I think anyone like, who thinks that is just ignorant. It, yeah, it, it's the now running into them. That's a whole nother question. Right, you know, like yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of variables there, but I feel like if we don't destroy ourselves first, that that's always a possibility. You know, here's, within, here's my thought on it. If you and like five other people are the yeah. only ones left in America, yeah, and you're in five or six. Totally different places. <laughs> yeah. You might not be the last person left in America, but for all intents and purposes, yeah. you are the last person left. Yeah, that's a good. Metaphor. You're not going to see or interact with most those people likely not. ever. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, almost a Unless, it's almost a mathematical impossibility. Yep. Yep. Unless you're somehow able to like reconstitute communication. Which, yeah. Come on. Well, and then there's there's uh, this thing called the Fermi paradox. Which I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's uh, basically a calculation of how what are the chances that there's other civilizations out there that we could eventually interact with. Right. And it is kind of slim because of the length of the universe, just in Not terms that, of but time. The sheer but, number of variables well, it took to create life as it is on Earth. Yeah, like yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, um, carbon-based life forms that evolved into mammalians that evolved into exactly by, like upright. Like it, it, the variables there, are. Crazy. There's so many things that can go wrong every step of the way. Yes. Even when you get to like an advanced civilization, there's so many things that could keep them from having a space program. I'm not even sure if there there's would so even... many things that could. When people say alien life, they yeah. always assume you mean like aliens from like movies, right? Yeah. No. I I think it's ridiculous to think we're the only life in the universe. Yeah. No. I that's... would not be flabbergasted to learn we're the only life in the universe like us. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that I don't believe that there are anything like us because UFOs are a thing and what the hell are those? <laughs> Even the government That's is admitting other... that they're real now. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're a thing. We were all right the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> There's pilots and stuff and astronauts coming out yeah. all over the place, respected men going, oh no, it's, it's just real. So it has to challenge your preconceived notions about that. I always used to think there's no way there's like little green men flying ships and stuff. Yeah. Uh, maybe little green men, yeah, maybe there's no way that's real. Yeah. <laughs> but there's clearly ships that are... They're unidentified. Yeah, definitely. They appear to not be terrestrial in origin, although we can't say that for sure because we don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But they appear to be that way. So it leads you to believe that there is some form or fashion of life, whether yeah. that's biological life or some other form of life. Who knows? We don't know. Definitely. 
I think well, it would so, be like the coolest thing ever if like you turn on the news one day and it was just every single channel on TV was like, you know, uh, the Lincoln contact. pool or whatever in front of Lincoln Memorial and it's like a spaceship landing and everyone's just like, ah, yeah. someone hide Trump before the leader comes. <laughs> you know, like Even even if they're here to destroy us, it would still be the coolest thing ever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, We'd be like those so, idiots on the top of the skyscraper in Independence Day, like, come save us! And they all get blown up. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so one thing I really... I like to point out when it comes to uh, the importance of having a space program. It's something that Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about a lot. And I think he, he was quoted as saying like uh, the dinosaurs didn't have a space program. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're just, we're gambling right here being uh, a one planet species. You know, we're on the, we, at any moment we could get wiped out by a stray gamma ray. You know, there's so many things that can happen to us. You know, uh, we're, who knows how how long away from our next extinction level? How event. terrified are you every time they hear about one of these giant asteroids or whatever? Yeah, it's like it's big and it's the size of Texas, and we didn't know and about we, it. Till we didn't know after about it, it until us. it would have been way too late to do anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So like, I feel like it's just people a, are they don't know how it's like the, the, yeah. we talked about a few episodes. I think like episode two or even one about the nuclear football and all. Yes, the, yeah, like yeah, how definitely. close we've come to nuclear annihilation so many times, and we're yeah. just blissfully aware, unaware. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like, we've almost been taken out by these mega asteroids, like, so many times. Yeah. And I just, I think it's insane that we're not doing more, you know, uh, that we're not, you know, pouring more resources Uh, into. The problem is that we all know that Harry Stamper is still around. Uh, Bruce Willis' character in Armageddon. (laughs) Deep cuts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, you know, um, I hope in the next 50 years we'll at least have... um, started making headway as far as maybe having a settlement on mars you know that might be a bit ambitious cool as hell i would love to see uh, the beginning of terraforming yes yeah i think so i think it's a i think it's an eventuality i think that it has to happen you know it's uh it's really hard because you think about even mars which is the next closest planet to the sun after earth it's far enough away from the sun compared to us that everything about it is totally different so to terraform it to be like Earth wouldn't yeah. really work yeah. because it's not the same distance from the sun. So temperatures wouldn't be the same. Weather patterns wouldn't be the same. Plants wouldn't grow the same. Yeah. The bacteria wouldn't be the same. None of that would be the same. So yeah. it wouldn't be like Earth. There'd be a lot to figure so terraforming out. Terraforming doesn't really work well, in the way that we look at it from a science fiction point of view. Yeah. But yeah. I would love it if in 50 years or so we figured out a way to start the process to do something like that. In the face of overwhelming odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm going to have to science the shit out of this. That yeah. would be my interstellar travel. Yeah. And terraforming. Yeah, man. That's what I'd like to see. So, yeah. As always, I'm cautiously optimistic about the future. While Chris was off to raid Area 51, I interviewed a special guest who just so happens to be running a space-themed event here in Jacksonville next month. Today I'm joined by one of the coolest guests we've had on the show huh. yet. I'm honored to present the man of GAM himself, Ryan Paul Thompson. How's it going? Doing all right. That's a big introduction. I think you might have <laughs> oversold that. You should have been like, here's a piece of <laughs> from Jacksonville. <laughs> that probably would have gone over better. So when Thanks I first reached me. out to Ryan, uh, I told him I was a friend of Botter's, uh, Botter the Short Bob. Boom! <laughs> and his response was, uh, any friend of Botter is an enemy of mine. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah, I probably said that. 
so now for those who don't already know, Ryan is the mastermind behind a series of events here <laughs> in Jacksonville called GAM, which stands for, if I'm not mistaken, Games, Art, and Music? Yeah, Games, Art, and Music. Uh, that's kind of like where it started off as. And now yeah. it's kind of weird. It, it, it transforms each day. <laughs> Eventually, I'm sure we'll just lose the whole Games, Art, and Music thing underneath the tagline and just leave it as just GAM. That's what it is at its core, though. You've uh, mentioned a number of times GAM's not a con. That's right. GAM is not a con. <laughs> uh, what's your uh, what's your meaning behind that, I guess? Yeah, so um, honestly, it's more of just a, not a statement. I want people to have, I want people to go to GAM with the right anticipate or the right expectations. That makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, people, like, if once they hear that something is a convention, there's certain expectations of what they're going to see. Yeah, you can't really compare it to, like, Megacon or anything like oh, that. Oh, not at all, yeah. Yeah, no, it's its own thing, It's which is awesome. You know, I've I've really enjoyed every one of them that I've been oh, to. Thank you. Know, you. That, that means time. a lot. Hopefully I'll enjoy one one day. No, <laughs> just, no I, always, I always have a great... I look forward to them a lot. Like, it takes... It's a lot of work and a lot of planning, but it's very very rewarding like because you get to meet so many cool people and just in putting it together you kind of it's almost like a like a role-playing game yeah like like you start off on a quest each year like okay time to do the next scam show (laughs) like along the way like you meet all these other people that kind of just like get added on to your party like oh wow we have another person that he's a magician (laughs) <laughs> we can add on mage skills. Or this guy is like a barbarian. So we'll meet, oh, yeah, this guy can build stuff. Yeah. This person is really great with art. Oh, she's fantastic in terms of like organizing things. So like it just, it's really fun. I like getting to meet people. I like, I enjoy getting to see people do what they're good at. It's fun. I like it. I guess you could say this is sort of a side quest for you in that case. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, there you go. Ooh, I like it. Uh, now, you've been running these events for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember when the first one was. Like, what, uh, 2013, uh, 2014? Somewhere around? Somewhere around. It was e- either 2013 uh, or maybe in 2012. Let's go to my GAM event full. Okay, yeah, 2012. <laughs> 2012 was the first one. I remember, I think I was at the second one. I can't remember. Uh, it might have been a Ninja Turtle theme. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was sold no. instantly. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was a very controversial <laughs> move for us. Oh, really? That was at yeah. the uh, the museum, right? That was at the, the museum. museum but yeah. uh, it was more controversial from the standpoint of it was very important to me that we had a core set of values and, and what we set out to do and what we're going to be about. That's where the whole be original, do good thing comes from. Like that has to be at the core of everything. Yeah, and then as soon as like we finished getting all that together, I was like, "All right, guys, so the next show is going to be about Ninja Turtles." He's like, "What? What the hell?" I was like, "Hey, don't tell me you never played the Ninja Turtles game. Like that game was like, oh yeah, you're right, Turtles Four, like Turtles in Time. Those games were awesome, man. The NES one was tough as hell. (laughs) Like like that and Double Dragon. There's that one tiny gap that keep trying to jump over it, but you can't. You just got to walk over it, and it's like, okay, yeah, exactly. But it was still an awesome game. That game was so yeah. hard. It holds up, I think. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Now you've um, you've also partnered with Extra Life in the past. Is that right? Yeah, we've uh, we try to work with a lot of different charitable organizations. I really like what Extra Life is about. There's a lot of good people there, and a lot of times <laughs> it's a great time to be honest. Like it works. We both have the essentially the same core set of values. Like we're both kind of setting out to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of GAM people actually help out with Extra Life now. It's like they get their training, they get their war wounds from running a GAM event, <laughs> and then they go do like an Extra Life thing. Like, oh, this is easy now. I got it. It's not a problem at all. 
That's awesome. You were were you recently at E3? I've been like watching your posts and stuff. Yeah, E3 was awesome. I love going to E3. What was your favorite thing from there? Final Fantasy VII. Final oh Fantasy VII God. is the yeah. best. <laughs> no, it's um, been so long since they announced it. I can't wait. It was, but it was worth it. Like oh, it, I two my two favorite things at E3. One was obviously Final Fantasy VII because it, it is worth the wait. Like I did not expect it because the hype is so big. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I mean, like, the graphics game, look incredible. From what the I graphics seen. are incredible, the gameplay is great. Like they hit every beat that they should have hit, at least within the demo that they let us like try out. Nice. And so that was fantastic, and and the people I went with was it was a really good group, and that really makes a difference in a trip. Just your your travel companions, you know. So yeah. I'm very grateful for those people taking a trip and giving up their time to go do something like that with me for a few days. Definitely. So whenever we have a new guest on the show, we like to ask some variation of this question, but I feel like right. switch it up a bit this time. What do you think are some of the most epic fails in video game history? Ugh, epic fails in video game one. history outside of E.T. Oh my um, God, yes, me... <laughs> E.T. game for Atari. <laughs> that was definitely, um, I would say... Well, you know, there's that whole urban legend about like the company like dumping like thousands of cartridges in a landfill. Oh, I never yeah. really found out whether that was true or not. Oh, it's true. It's, Is it? Uh, they've had people <laughs> go and actually dig up cartridges. Like they'll do um, like a bunch of people will team up and kind of do like mini field trips, and they'll go like, "Hey, let's go dig up some ET cartridges." <laughs> and uh, it's like, yeah, these are all worth absolutely nothing. But that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's awesome. I'd say BMXXX is probably like a humongous fail. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that game. That was just straight garbage. <laughs> it sounds but, uh, really familiar. I think I saw oh, it was, here. It was like during the time when like Tony Hawk was huge. It was just, it was such a cheap cash in and like catering to the lowest common denominator. Uh, I think that was like a, that was definitely a fail and just like a sad <laughs> point. In, in gaming history. <laughs> uh, what was it? Superman 64 always comes to Oh, mind. yeah. That's yeah. Like hot garbage. Pretty wretched. That Which was... stinks. We've never really had like a good Superman game. I feel like it's possible. We just haven't seen it yet. I mean, the art games were awesome. So Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest problem with a Superman game is the same problem with Superman from like a, a story standpoint. Like he's yeah. got all these powers. So how do you make a game based on Superman where it's... it's in, interesting and i think you got to stop worrying about the power like you need to yeah. embrace the powers because that's fun and you just have to figure out other things for superman to do like you make the obstacle i'm gonna get into a game design conversation no, so i'm gonna make a no, good superman that. game the the biggest enemy needs to be time like yeah. I, I don't think you can create like a that's a really a good enough yeah because any kind of monster or being at the end of the day like you know superman's going to have enough power to it's like it's like dragon yeah. ball you're like goku's yeah. <laughs> gonna he's gonna figure out a way it's goku yeah exactly but, um, one of the like well you know i'm kind of a big comic fan and stuff and in the comics that's a good point like a lot of the time the real enemy is just time not being able to be in two places at once uh so tell me about this uh newest event space gam Yes. <laughs> again <laughs> once more gam goes into doing something ridiculous and stupid so <laughs> We were, um, when GAM started, we, we tried to focus on like a game or two. Like, you know, first we were like, okay, we're going to make this Street Fighter art exhibit. Yeah. And we started yeah. spilling out into, okay, we're going to, we had a lot of space that we didn't expect to. And so we made this like Mario stuff too to go with it. And then that kind of transformed the idea like, okay, well, maybe we should do these bigger themes. That's so when we did like a Legend of GAM, like to do Zelda. 
And after doing that for a little while, like we did a Final Fantasy game, we're like, you know, one, we're really risking a lot going specifically after these <laughs> IPs. Like somebody's going to sue us eventually. We should figure, like it's, <laughs> it's very artistic. So that lets it slide a lot. And a lot yeah. of times, typically we have relationships with the people we work with. Like when we did um, Turtles, we were talking to people who were actually like working on the Ninja Turtles movie and stuff like that. So it's like, even when we did like Avengers, we were talking to people with Marvel. So like we try to stay safe. But it's safer to start going with a theme. And then it opens us up more in terms of what we can actually do. So we start doing things like, hey, let's do Gam Versus, where that'll be fighting games. Um, yep. And then we did Adventure. For the longest time, people have wanted us to do things with with sci-fi. And they're like, oh, well, we were trying to do like a sci-fi thing. And then I try to look ahead of like what's going on in pop culture too and then, like there were so many things going on in terms of like like anime was blowing up last year so at that point like we're taking a risk we're like okay we can kind of play off the whole our needs of space and go into sci-fi so we're trying to hope and anticipate that maybe yeah next year would be a good time to jump into something more sci-fi and the team loved it like they wanted to do stuff with like halo they really want to do Star Wars and like Mass oh, yeah. Effect. And I, I love Metroid to death. So I was like, yes. oh, hell yeah, let's do this. It's one of my favorites. Uh, so it's worth noting that one of the first video games ever, ever made was actually a game called Space War back in 1962. What are some of your favorite space-themed games? Um, well, definitely, definitely Metroid. Like Super Metroid. Oh, Super Metroid was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That and um, <laughs> I think uh, Mass Effect. I, I got lost in that game for like a few months. I pretty uh -huh. much went missing one semester because of that game. <laughs> <laughs> I started the first one and then that was it. Like I couldn't. Well, the I first one was in my opinion. It was. I, that's what I remember. It was really good. I loved like all the trees and everything, like the decision trees and everything. The yes. gameplay was fantastic. Um, Halo. More so, I oh, was really dude. big into Halo 2. I was really big into Halo yeah, 2. Yeah, the like first that. few Halo games were pretty great. Um, I think Halo Reach might have been my favorite, though. That game was uh, so, solid. I didn't get to play Reach. What? Uh, <laughs> You're missing out. I, I, oh, like, it's got to this point where like I used to like just devour games. Like yeah. I would stay up playing everything until like my friends would come over and we'd be yelling and screaming until 2 or 3 of them were like, because we're playing yeah. Marvel vs. Capcom or whatever. Yeah. And... Then I started doing GAM, and, like, all that stuff went away. <laughs> like, okay. I barely get to play games anymore now. Like, oh, I'm always stuck doing GAM stuff, which I, I really enjoy, but I have to live through everybody else now. And they're like, oh, this new game's awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm going to play it for 15 minutes just so I can get a feel for it, yeah. taste it, and then everybody else just enjoy it, and hopefully I'll know. Like, I used to religiously do Street Fighter Four. Like, I was ranking pretty high <laughs> for a while, and then, like, it just fell off. I totally know what you mean. Adulting kind of gets in the way sometimes. You it know? really does. I um like one of the only new games I've played recently was the new Spider-Man game, and I got it. It's uh, so good. It's it so damn really good. good. Um, I almost and, I almost got halfway through it. I, I put yeah, some time in on it. it I'm like yeah. maybe halfway, if that, because uh, I don't really have a whole lot of time to game anymore, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it's that good where you'll put in the time. Like, okay, I gotta I gotta put aside like an hour. Or yeah, I'm falling I just asleep and I kind of forgot. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there's just so much out there too now. It's like hard to get to everything, even if you have the time. You know, there's a lot. Yeah. Like I used to play like all the space shoot 'em ups, like Gradius. I don't know if it's Gradius or Gradius. Super R type. Oh yeah. Axley. Oh, that was a fun one. I totally oh, forgot about the game. God, yeah. 
Uh, like all that stuff, we're gonna have again. Pretty much every nice. sci-fi shmup that I used to play, we're gonna have again, just for my own personal. personal Brian's like, ones. "Go away! I'm I'm busy. <laughs> this is my time, damn it! I'm finally gonna finish this. I'm gonna yeah. play Contra Three: Alien Wars one more time. Oh, so much fun. But uh, yeah, those yeah, are all I'll, great games for sure. Yeah. So with the space theme, we're going sci-fi. We picked a few games that we're gonna focus on. Like we're gonna focus on Metroid, Halo, and um, oh my god, they're gonna kill me for forgetting what. Yeah, the games are that we're focusing on. There's a bunch. Like, I think somebody was cosplaying as Doom, as like the Doom guy. That's awesome. Um, we tied in a little bit of Marvel by going with like Thanos and Gamora, um, Captain Marvel, obviously Cortana with Miss Valentine. Yeah, there's there's a lot. So like right now, like we had a meeting the other day and we're building like a, a six or seven foot warthog, like a pixel style one, and oh. then like a giant. But um, we oh That's Star so Fox. Cool. Alex is making Star an Fox. actual... Yes, I yes, can't think Star... of that either. Yeah. Star Fox 64 was my Hell yeah. So we're going to have Star Fox 64 there because we want people to do multiplayer. Yeah. And then um, we're going to... Alex is actually making a giant R-Wing. Oh, that's awesome. To have it for display. And then um, we're just doing tons of, like, you know, spaceships flying around. They're making giant mother brains. There's, like, a six-foot Samus in my room right now. Oh my god, um, there's a guy building a, a Dead Space cosplay right now on the team. Like he just no finished. Way. So he's super hyped about it. There's a lot of good work that's coming out of it. So I'm hyped. That's awesome. Uh so what do you think video games can teach us about overcoming failure? Video game oh, they teach us a lot about failure. Um and I think the probably more significantly before before now, I should say, because now, so now games usually have like instant recharge, infinite continues. And all they that hold your hand stuff. through. The it network. really does hold your hand, and it still teaches you a lot about you know um, perseverance and constitution, how to overcome problems, how to actually think and attack problems. Oh yeah, um, and I think games are great at that. They're great reward systems in terms of rewarding your perseverance and whatnot. I, I I'm a big proponent, you know. I, Aside from my personal biases, I think games are great. I think games are just like books and film in terms of there's so many lessons they can teach you, and especially in terms of failure. Oh, yeah. Like, how satisfying is it at when you fail and fail and fail, but you're slowly getting better each time that you approach this problem, and either you figure out a new way to solve the problem or you reach this level of expertise mm-hmm. that you can just naturally overcome it. It's a huge reward that goes with a feeling of reward that goes with it that I think we could take with us in our day-to-day lives. Um, I think it was a lot more significant when you had things like limited continues and that and it was a byproduct of having, you know, coin operated machines and they want need to make as much money as you can. <laughs> That's a good having, point. Yeah. yeah. There was that you didn't have save systems techno- technologically wise. Yeah. So, you know, it was like, Oh, you're either going to continue and you're going to play through this whole thing and, and do it well or, or not. <laughs> And yeah, um, so, kids these days don't understand the struggle. Man, that's why Mega Man was so damn hard. You're oh like, my well, god, Mega Man Two especially. <laughs> oh, it's, that game it's is impossible. Unforgiving. It really unforgiving. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think games teach us a lot about failure and how to overcome failure. Uh, so speaking of space, what are your hopes for the future of space exploration? I really hope that. The aliens don't destroy us. That's kind of my... <laughs> no, no uh, SpaceX, I hope we keep pushing. I'm a big space fan. Like, I love listening to, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And, oh, my like, God, I, yeah. I, 
Yeah, things about like Star quantum Talk. theory. Yeah, oh, I love Star Talk. Cosmos, all that. <laughs> yep. I'm a firm believer that we need to continue exploring the stars to change the way we live here on Earth, if that makes sense. No, it like, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like, totally not even, yeah. Because from the standpoint of like innovation, like from a technology standpoint, mm-hmm. you have all these weird requirements going into space that you just don't even have. And so you don't think of trying to push them here. But then I'm bleeding back, like stuff with telecommunications and whatnot, or, you mm-hmm. know, fire retardation, like that's stuff that came from space travel and exploration and the needs that go with that. But also just to, to dream and to push ourselves, like it, the second we become so content with like, okay, we're here on earth and that's just it. We're just going to stay here. <laughs> it's like, no, there's all this stuff out there. Like yeah, we should be it's exploring. a big universe. Yeah. Let's get some, some perspective on us, you know, hopefully we don't have to move planets anytime soon. Which, have you ever heard his, his argument on that, on like um, leaving the planet? If... Yeah, definitely. Like we're kind of gambling by just having, you know what I mean? Like we could get wiped out at any second. We should have you an know. exit plan just in case. Yeah, exactly. You never know. <laughs> but he made this great argument about um, from the environment standpoint about not leaving the planet. He was talking about like the the costs that would be involved and transporting or getting us off of this planet and then like let's say go to mars and like terraform mars so it'd be livable and habitable and whatnot yeah definitely it would be so great that it would be cheaper just to fix the damn planet like it would like (laughs) just yeah yeah just put the money into taking care of the planet like that's how expensive it would be to go somewhere else so it's like yeah it'd be cheaper just to you know when people talk about how expensive it is to, to clean water or yeah. get rid of oil spills and get fixed the air and the oxygen. It's it like one of the other options, like yeah. way more expensive. <laughs> it really is. And I was once he said that, I was like, man, that's a damn good point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Like it's gonna I hope it never gets to that point. But Oh yeah, definitely. Well, uh I for one really appreciate everything you've done for the community here in Jacksonville. Oh, thank you. The community's done a lot for me. I, I thank the community for tolerating me. This <laughs> This weird guy who just has these stupid ideas and for some reason people help me do them. So I can't say thank you enough. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, um, you can find me. Uh, I'll say you can find Gam at, at I Love Gam on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's not. If you want to find <laughs> just me, you can look for like at Gam Ryan on, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, nice. But yeah, the, the whole team helps with the social media stuff on GAM. So, uh, so thank you, GAM team, for for, ma- for making that sacrifice. Everybody kind of chips in. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, Ryan. Really no, appreciate thank it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Yeah, man. Should have you on again at some point. Dude, definitely. After, after GAM's over, you can have me on whenever you want. It'll be easy. <laughs> Just have uh, Ryan as a reoccurring guest. <laughs> can't bring me out. Bring me and Botter on at the same time, and we'll really we'll destroy some stuff. We'll, One of these days, <laughs> somebody will make somebody else cry, and I don't know who's gonna make who. But I'll be the referee. Know. How about that? Yeah, do that. Be a dirty <laughs> referee. Let me win. Just take some cash under the table. <laughs> I can, I'll do that in a heartbeat. You can catch Ryan at Space Scam on August 17th at the Schultz Center. If you like the show, let us know. You can rate and review us on iTunes. As always, feel free to message us on social media. 
Next time, we're talking with Lieutenant Commander Bill Goss. So stay tuned for more epic fails of history.